This podcast was recorded and produced on Gadigal, Darug and Gundungurra country. Blackbirds acknowledges and pays respects to elders past and present. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. No offence, but... No offence, but you guys suck. Oh, no offence, but... Like, no offence. Great Britain has now become Snowflake Central. No, 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 no. Oh my God. Look. No offence, but... Hello and welcome back to No Offence But, a Blackbirds podcast hosted by me, Aisha Ash. I am so happy to be back. It's really nice to be here recording again. I haven't been away physically, geographically. I've just been away mentally and emotionally because I've had a lot on, which we all have, and that's life. It's just a lot. Different shades of a lot. But now I feel quite grounded and I feel very ready and I feel very excited and I'm very content and motivated. Wow, that's a good feeling. So today I have a special episode featuring two funny, intelligent, creative artists, Sean Cordero and Claire Healy. They have been working together since 2003. Their practice reflects a preoccupation with the dynamics of global mobility, fallout of consumer society, and contemporary notion of home. Claire and Sean have exhibited their work around the world at some of the most recognised art galleries and arts festivals, and in a few weeks they have a new work that will be shown as part of Open Field Festival. Open Field Festival is a new arts festival that's happening in Bury on the south coast of New South Wales from the 22nd of June to the 25th of June, so just in a couple of weeks. And Claire and Sean tell me all about the work that they've been making for this. Also, we talk about how they met, how and why they started working together. I ask them about some of their works like Auto Safari and Don't Shit Where You Eat. And last but certainly not least, we talk about some very important creatures and or people, however you want to think of them. Bigfoot. Yowie. The Yeti. We love them. We're interested in them. And guess what? They played a little part of inspiration in Claire and Sean's new work for Open Field Festival. Let's get into the chat. Claire and Sean, I would love to know a bit more about you and for the listeners, can you provide, I guess, a brief introduction about how you met and how you started working together as well? We met at art school. <laughs> um, we were both going to College of Fine Arts back in the 90s. Sean was working in sculpture and I had recently, I was quite a, a technophobe and, and bailed from like the media department and came into sculpture and um, noticed that Sean was always working around and working into the late hours in the sculpture department and just started getting to know him. And then, yeah, it was pretty much that year, I think it was around 1996, you were working on a massive Astro Boy sculpture out of plaster. And, no, before that, you were working on these giant teddy bears. They were big bandaged bears that you were making for um, Westmead hospital the children's hospital and that's why I just thought who is this guy <laughs> yeah I started just I don't know getting to chat and finding out more about you so we met at art school 
late nineties. Mm. Testament to art school romance. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're both sculptors and um the nature of sculpture is very there's a real materiality to it and there's also a uh, level of organization and making to it really so we really started working together and then this kind of organic process happened where we our our practice was were quite different but then this kind of organic kind of merging of our practices occurred kind of due to reacting to space and mm. um thinking about sydney during that time and then certain things that were kind of common within our practice came together yeah yeah and there was this opportunity where the um, student union gallery there was a space for us to exhibit and we were going to show some of our pieces we'd been working on and that was the old kudos gallery like um just opposite college of fine arts we just thought oh this is kind of boring isn't it just to kind of plonk down everything we've been working on for the year why don't we like use the space and do something with it and so yeah that was when we decided to decide to do some like an intervention and a performative work and had a ball like making that um, piece it was called location to die for and we put up a big um, advertising placard out the front as if we were selling the um the space as like these new york style apartments <laughs> and um we had an open day as if it was going to be open to the public so we had like all these pull-off tag like advertisements that were all the way down oxford street for people to to know about it so our audience like grew so many more people other than your usual art school crowd yeah location to die for it just sounds like what so many people are having to do in the rental crisis in the property market you know that's real estate's prime and anything in that kind of space I think is so interesting at the time we thought it was so stressful in the real estate situation but now it's got like four times worse it's so weird it's It's so it's so like at the time (laughs) I mean, like these days, you know, you look at things and people reminisce about how easy things were in the 90s. But for us, we were like, we were freaking out. It was like, what? This is unbearable. And then like now it's like so much worse. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's ongoing. Yeah, because at that time it was like right about when um, the Olympics, the Olympics or... were happening. Oh, so my gosh. It went like this whole like facelift and it was just appalling. Was like, like things were just being ripped down and, you know, these beautiful heritage buildings which you wouldn't see like torn down now were just being lost so it was it was a very sad time but it, it was like a war zone mm. it was just mm. like this constant barrage of but it hasn't let up no it hasn't <laughs> so yeah our artwork is really began with that kind of idea of like mm, that the situation we were in and then so consequently to that like a lot of our art really thinks about structures and power structures and how Mm -hmm. what our place is within those structures and how we kind of react to that Mm. I think it's nice that like you know our art informs how we live and then vice versa how we live informs our artwork so it may it doesn't have to be a chore but you know I think it's nice to think about things like on a theoretical level to read about things but then also it's very important that your artwork comes from somewhere 
within and something that you've experienced within life and something that is close to you rather than something that is kind of um, conce- totally conceptual in a sense. So, you know, how we, we live just kind of informs us really about what we're doing. Yeah, yeah totally. And currently we live in Blackheath in the Blue Mountains. So I guess that's a major form of being able to switch off, you know, just getting into the bush. When you're making big public artworks, how do you negotiate, I guess, space and place and story and audience? There's these huge monuments that people can interact with and have an experience with, but they're all in a particular space and time. So how do you even mm. think about creating something like that? I don't know. It's a, I guess it's quite a big responsibility. Part of that is really understanding that you're not going to be able to um, give voice to every story that's mm. there because every, every place has so many different layers and so many parts of history. And then really all we can do really is to approach it I guess on a, um, I guess on a on a personal level, really, to find what um, that place kind of how that place speaks to us and how what we have to give to that. So there's so many funny stories of a place, and it's nice to be able to create something that reminds people of that. But then also, public art, um, well, good public art, I guess, in a way, also of ultimately becomes invisible. It comes becomes part of the landscape that people, the local people live within. Mm-hmm. So it becomes almost something subliminal too. And it it's kind of fun in that it's something really massive, but then it's it's kind of like, you know, when you put stuff on your fridge door to remind you of something like that. But then something can be there for so long then you look at it and say, oh my God, like that photocopy's been there for like <laughs> seven years. Or like what well, I have I haven't looked at it or whatever. But just becomes part of the fabric of your life. And I think that's kind of nice too with public art when it kind of just gets absorbed within yeah. into the space. The invisible landmark. <laughs> <laughs> it is important to really be able to tell a story. I think it's also really tricky or there is a a real balancing act to play in that you don't want to shadow, overshadow things that, you know, you want to be able to reveal things that maybe people don't know about or, you know, in hope that others will get a bit more curious about certain histories that you want to reveal. But it really can be so complicated, can't mm. it? You know, it's a real privilege and honour to be able to give, be given the opportunity to do this, but it's also a little bit scary. I was looking at your work and I came across Auto Safari. I believe it's called. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. In 2017, we were hanging out in a place called Bangor, which is in the Pilbara, with a really wonderful community, um, the Maru Mili. Um, we were invited to stay for a month-long period and create a collaborative work with the Maru. It's a pretty remote place. It's about five hours drive. Yeah, or a seven-hour drive, I think it was, Mm. from Newman. So we had to fly to Newman. From Um, Perth. So from Perth to Newman. Newman is like a big iron ore mine and then another five hours by car, five to seven hours by car into Bungalow. So it's quite a remote place. But it's interesting part of Australia in that it's so iron-rich and you 
can walk through the landscape and it's got that distinct colour. And it, but also yeah. a distinct smell. Like you can you almost smell, smell the iron, the iron yeah. as well. Mm. And then also you see these, like, as you can imagine, cars get turned over pretty quickly in, a, in an environment like that. But it's this weird kind of, it's so remote, but then you still feel like you're part of this weird life cycle of steel. So this this the iron is like taken from the land and then it goes to a smelter in say China or something like that and then it gets transformed, then it gets shipped to Japan and then gets made into a car and then that car gets brought to Australia and it's driven to death and then somehow it just lands up in as a wreck in in the middle of the desert and it's almost like it's coming coming back to earth kind of it's this weird, it's a weird life, life cycle, cycle that happens and then so, so on a number of cars what we've actually done is um painted the name of a particular species of animal so we were thinking about logos or names of cars like beetle and colt and falcon and impala so we've painted um in this kind of gothic script the names of the, you know what we imagine these cars so it's almost like this um a safari yeah a safari mm. <laughs> but all these vehicles that are upended or you know they're dead pretty much mm. but they're within the landscape and there's this strange kind of you know these big hulking carcasses they're like dead animals or something like that. there's this weird kind of thing where how there's a kind of anthropomorphization of cars and and things and also, these cars become part of the landscape as, like, animals are part of the landscape or something. Yeah, it was a very strange and interesting experience. To take it down a totally different kind of art road but with another one of your works, um, Don't Shit Where You Eat, the, <laughs> the pizza box and the uh, half-eaten pizza, kind of an homage or uh, to COVID or <laughs> going from making something like, reimagining those cars in the desert to then this domestic scene I'd love to hear about that that was a fun little project that Amanda Love has got going it's an ongoing series of works where she invites an artist to create an artwork in her bathroom we had been in lockdown and I think you know the time that we were um, had been invited to make something we weren't even sure if we were going to be able to have an opening or anything. And it was when, you know, at the time, like we had been working in such close proximity to our, our two children who were both, you know, in the same house that we're all living in together, all them doing homeschooling, us carrying on with a lot of our work and all of our public commissions that were all online. It was just chaos. It was mm total mayhem as you know it probably mm -hmm. has been for a lot of people here we were just doing absolutely everything together just <laughs> some very private and it, the private and the public kind of dissolves you know but it's also yeah so basically it was this kind of just a slice of pizza in a pizza box on the floor of the toilet and I think um maybe a lot of people had that kind of experience during lockdown where you know they're having zoom meetings in their in their bedroom and i mean i can't imagine what it would have been like living in a share house during lockdown or mm. something like that because i know we've all had like some pretty weird share house experience imagine like being like just it must have been very some very strange experiences and, and stuff like 
people who would usually only see each other for a couple of hours a day mm. would be like in each other's faces. <laughs> so um yeah, so it was kind of a strange time. Oh, like I remember we we began lockdown with I I bought the audio book for um the Decameron and like because that was written during like a plague time um uh-huh. and you know people coming together and just telling stories to while away the time during the plague mm. it was like it was, it was such a weird anyway so yeah it was I guess that whole don't shit where you eat was really again like a from came from a life experience really and then how we kind of deal with that yeah we mm. still have that bit of pizza just sitting on our toilet <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's one of those it's one of those um polyurethane yeah. ones like that um you see in like Japan in the front of um stores so it'll it'll last forever Mm. that's so cool I love that I think that's very on point very relevant and COVID drove a lot of us insane in our houses and so many of our bad habits were exposed to everyone it was like oh my god an interesting time oh my god yeah crazy and you're creating a work for open field it's from June the 22nd till June the 25th so it's a really short festival but as you can imagine still a crazy amount of organization by the organizers so it's I think it's about 20 24 artists it's kind of interesting I don't know whether you've been to Bury much but it's really in this kind of sweet spot where it's like just an hour out of Sydney so Mm -hmm. a lot of people go there on the weekends to kind of get out of Sydney but then as a result it's got a very interesting dynamic in that it was only maybe two decades ago, pretty much kind of like a semi-rural kind of space. And now it's a quite, it's almost like a Mosman kind of vibe. It's got a combination of um, old school and then very nouveau situations. So it's interesting because I think a lot of artists are in a similar situation where, you know, getting back to that whole real estate business how a lot of people are now living within the periphery and then how do people kind of take that punk action where it's there's more like a do-it-yourself situation and I think that's what people have come up with in Barry like you know rather than waiting for something to happen like to come together and create some kind of galvanizing point where artists within that community can come together and and create something so it's it's yeah it's really super positive our um there's some really beautiful buildings there and I think they're going to be able to utilize about 11 spaces so I think there's mm-hmm. like a is that a school of arts and um agricultural yeah agriculture center but some of these buildings are just gorgeous you know and there's like the old wood choppers there's like a stadium and well it's it's going to be really great because there's you know a lot of performative works and sculptural and there's going to be a couple of music nights I think as well so because it was an agricultural kind of town it has that kind of agricultural structure yeah showground structure already to it and it's really interesting in that it's very kind of ye olde worldy but then also so it has that layer of history to it as well as like there's going to be a few First Nations curators that are going to be working on um, within this view too. So there's going to be a lot of different layers of history within it. Our take on it is kind of coming from more of a um, paranormal 
take on the space. So I think Ooh. I think it's kind of just a bit of fun, really. But it's always like these. I don't know whether it's from you know like that idea of usually, a lot of horror movies start off like the premises like this and city slickers come into yes the country and then what happens when those two worlds kind of collide and you know the otherness of the countryside kind of thing and ours is kind of just fun it's like our work is related to the Patterson Gimlin film which is it's the film that most people see when they see footage of Bigfoot yeah it's um, the most famous footage of Bigfoot. So we're looking at this cryptid, rendering it in Lego. Yeah, so it's frame, <gasps> frame 357. Yeah, I think so. So there's a really famous frame within the whole movie where... Where you see, like, you know, there's either someone... Bigfoot, in, <laughs> Bigfoot, Bigfoot kind of turns around and looks straight at the camera kind of thing. And uh, so we've taken that frame and then we've blown it up to, what is it, about... Oh. One and a half meters. Kind of. Yeah, it's about almost two meters wide by about a meter sixty long. Okay, so it's just that rendered in Lego. So it's when we were kids, like there was this show called um, Great Mysteries of the World in America. It was called In Search of, and it's um, hosted by Leonard Nimoy, who was like Doctor Spock in the original Star Trek. <laughs> and it's all this kind of ridiculous cryptid and paranormal things. Always like. So really, for us, it's a very nostalgic kind of thing. And I think like places like Barry, traditionally, they have funny stories. There's always like tales of big cats are a real yes. thing. I mean, we've got a similar kind of, you know, thing, um, thing going on here in Blackheath yeah. where, you know, there's been supposed sightings of the Yowie or the Black Panther. Yes. Yeah. Well, even yeah. like the football team, the, the Penrith Panthers, the mm-hmm. Panthers is from that mythology that there's some wild panthers mm. roaming about the um there've even been like um state government inquiries into like um, <laughs> large felines with <laughs> like, I think the last one was maybe about 15 years ago because people are always like oh there's these strange scratch marks on a tree or this cow got eaten by a large creature or something so I think like it's kind of fun like Barry is the kind of place where you know you can imagine going camping with some friends and you have some kind of like oh my god like we were camping out and then suddenly these lights came or something you know well, what I mean like, in the Barry Museum <laughs> I think there is like a, a casting of a footprint of the Black Panther of Barry <gasps> oh my god oh really are you, are you talking no about? I'm serious <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, I know, um, yeah, I know down south there too, it's like big yowie country. So yeah. people always spotting yowies and having the yowie stories. It's really interesting. Yeah, so it's kind of fun like that, just that whole kind of cryptozoology and it's it's pretty light. It's not it's not too... Because it is like a nostalgic kind of period of time where we put a call out and asked if people could offer up old Lego that they're not using anymore. So we've mm-hmm. actually been able to use a lot of secondhand Lego and mm-hmm. you can really tell, like, you can see the teeth marks and, like, you know, some of it's really grotty, but you can see <laughs> it's got that kind of gritty, dirty feel to it. Mm-hmm. So it has that feeling of, that it's, you know, old of, of this period of time where we, I guess, we're a little bit nostalgic for these cryptids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a bigger body part of a bigger body of work in a way that we're working with in terms of um science is kind of like kind of killed all these kind of cryptids in a way like the 
creatures of our youth like Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. People used to do like serious scientific studies into these things, but now they're kind of laughed at. But it seems like in this internet age, all these kind of pleasant creatures have been replaced with Mm. awful internet conspiracies like leading to things like the January 6th insurrections and stuff like that. There's so many kind of crazy things that people believe in now and it's kind of like this nostalgia for um, creatures that were actually endearing rather than awful. (laughs) No, can't we just believe in UFOs and aliens and... Yes, bring it out. Yeah. It's kind of... Try to, in a way, it's us just kind of yeah. longing for, <laughs> for You know, us. there is there is a Yowie group, like a serious Yowie research group in Queensland, and they have a podcast. I think it's called Yowie Hunters, and it's really funny. And unintentionally, <laughs> it's very serious, but it's the best thing because these people just go out for bushwalks and they spot Yowie tracks. All so right. they say, you know, you will, I'll send you the link. It's, there's one, it's so funny. There's one, this man just is like talking to the interviewer about the time that he saw a Yowie and the Yowie like ate half of his apple <laughs> and he gets wow. really upset that the Yowie ate his apple. He gets really upset about it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. so nice that it's like a, you know, Yowie's taking care of its health. You always <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to another episode of No Offense But. It's really nice to be back recording and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Claire and Sean. If you want to go to Open Field and check out their work, the majority of the festival is free. You'll be able to see their work for free. And there are also some really cool ticketed events that are now on sale. There's not a lot of tickets and they are selling quickly. So if you'd like to buy one, head to their open field website. You can also find that in the show notes. There's a cinema night. There's a few gig nights and some workshops and panels. Most of them are about $10. Thanks again for listening. My name is Aisha. This is No Offense But the Blackbirds podcast. Our intro theme was made by the one and only Miss Ruby Tees. Find us on Instagram. I have put the links in the show notes. Don't forget to rate, review, share, subscribe definitely review that would be really helpful actually so thank you for doing that in advance tell your mum tell your cat tell your neighbor have a wonderful day or night wherever you are whatever you're doing and i will see you metaphorically not literally maybe i will see you literally very soon bye